Hi guys, welcome back to Lesson 97, Revive School. Hope you're having fun in First Chronicles. Uh, you want to kind of just dive in verse by verse today and just kind of walk through kind of the son of David, the theme we've been following, uh, and how David, some cool stuff in this chapter that I really didn't know, and so I had a fun time jumping in here and studying it. Uh, but before I do that, I want to jump back to chapter 18. So let's go back to chapter 18. If you remember, David's actually conquering the kingdom. He's going back through and starting to conquer more land. And so, Kevin, if you want to pull this map up here, uh, the first map, David actually goes into the land of Philistines. So in the verse of chapter 18, you see them going down. Uh, David goes into battle with the Philistines, and he actually conquers Gath, and it says they're nearby towns. And then you see him also going down the land of Moab, which is on the other side of the Dead Sea. Uh, and he actually conquers the Moabites and starts to establish his kingdom in Moab. And then I think you see him go down by the river Euphrates. So he keeps going down, and you see David starting to conquer and establish his kingdom uh, across the land. And so uh, one thing that I, I really love that you'll see throughout the entire Old Testament is land seed blessing. In Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said he's going to give him the land. Uh, and he said, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And he also said, through your seed, the nations of the world will be blessed. And we know that was Jesus, and we've seen this, but we actually see David... You've seen Joshua. You see all these guys, they're subduing the earth. They're actually starting. They're going into the land, and they're conquering it. Uh, and I think sometimes in our own life, God's given us promises. He's told us things. He's told us to go into the land and take it. And I, you can track all the way through Chronicles, Kings, and all these, these books of the Bible that we're reading, and you're seeing that you've got to go in and get it. God promised Abraham uh, the land. He promised it to Joshua. He promised it to all the way through the lineage, even to David. And here you see David starting to conquer these kingdoms. And so go to verse 14. You got it here on your screen. First Chronicles 18, 14. This is kind of where it jumps in chapter 19. It says, so David reigned over all Israel and he administered judgment and justice to all his people. And so what you see is as he conquered these lands, he, these people came under his authority. They came under his subjection as a king and he started ministering justice to, uh, across the nation of Israel, all of Israel. So guys, we're going to jump in on your reading this, this, this chapter 19. It says, It happened after this that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his place. Next verse. And then David said, I'll show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messenger to confront him concerning his father, and David's servants came to Hanan in the land of the people of Ammon to comfort him. Sorry. Uh, so here's a question, guys. Where, have you ever heard of Nahash? Who's this guy? I started reading this and I'm like, all right, who's Nahash? And why was David trying to show him kindness? So anytime you're reading through the scripture, sometimes we just read over these guys like, oh, that's cool. David showed kindness to Nahash. But I want to kind of dig into this guy because the more you dig into who Nahash was, you got to ask yourself the question, why in the world would David ever show this guy kindness? So we got to go back some. You've, you've read about this guy before. Uh, if you want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Then Nahash the Amorite came up, and he had camped against Jabez Gilead. 
And the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we'll serve you. So Nahash the Ammonite said to these guys on this condition, I'll make a covenant with you if, and here's his covenant, that may I, I may put out your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. So Nahash, actually, Kevin, if you want to go to that second, well, he's already got it up. So we see back in 1 Samuel, uh, Nahash was the king of the Ammonites. And Nahash was trying to conquer the land also. And so he went and seized Jabez Gilead. And in that, they, they knew they were going to get beat. So they tried to make a covenant with him. And his, his heart was to destroy them. Obviously, his covenant. He didn't want to make peace. He said, I'll make covenant with you if you let me poke out your right eyes. And I'll br and bring reproach on all of Israel. So Nahash was actually coming in not only to conquer that, he wanted to make a mockery of the nation of Israel. And this is where actually King Saul jumps in. If you remember the story in verse 11, it says, Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days. We're going to send messengers all over the territory of Israel. And then if there's no one to come save us, we'll come out to you and let you poke our eye out and we'll make a covenant with you. What a guy. Verse 4. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, and they told the news of this hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field, and he said, what, what troubles all these people? Why are you all weeping? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So here you see the men of Jabesh Gilead. They don't know what to do. They're sending out letters or people, messengers, all over the land saying, Guys, we're fixing to die. We need somebody to help us. Or this guy's going to put us into servitude. And then you see Saul actually coming on the scene. This is one of his first acts uh, before he came king, I actually think. And he, he gets really fired up. Uh, why did Saul get so mad? Glad you asked. Let's, let's go to the next verse. Let's go back to, let's go to, we're going to go further back to Judges 21. So, Sean, if you don't mind, I want to just kind of look for just a second at Jabez Gilead. Uh, there's something here with King Saul. And so I want to go back a couple, a couple of books that we studied before. And I want to look at real quick at this. What's the deal with Jabez Gilead? Why was, you think, King Saul so fired up? So in Judges chapter 21, verse 8, it says this. And they said, what, is one, what one is there from the tribes of Israel who do not come up to Mizpah of the Lord? In fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabez Gilead to the assembly. So I need to back up for just a second. If y'all remember the story of there was a guy in the end of Judges who actually some people came against him and he actually took his wife and concubine or his concubine and he gave them to the people. And next thing you know, his concubine comes back that night. They do really horrible things to her. I mean, she dies on his threshold. And he's actually the guy that cut her body up in pieces and sent those pieces all over Israel. And then you see the nation of Israel coming in, and they make their mind up to destroy Benjamin. The act that they had done against them, they said, this is not, this is not acceptable. And so they actually besieged the, the tribe of Benjamin, and they almost exterminated them. If you remember in that story, there was only about 600 Benjamites left. And so they put their minds together and say, how in the world can we replenish the tribe of Benjamin? And so they had this crazy idea here in verse, verse 8, chapter 21. What about Jabez Gilead? Go to the next verse, Sean. So when the people were counted, no one from the Jabez Gilead was there. Verse 10. So the congregation sent out 12,000 of their most violent men and commanded them, saying, Go strike the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead with a sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. So they, among, so they found among the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, 
And they brought into the camp at Shiloh, which is the camp land of Canaan. So not trying to figure out what all they're doing, but here's simply the deal. They actually came back to here. And this was where they actually come in. They killed all the men and they killed all the women and children except for the gals that were virgins. They found 400 virgins who had not known a man. And these were the 400 virgins that they gave to the 600 Benjamites to reproduce and build the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> Crazy story. But in that, you see what? What was King Saul? What tribe was he from? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Benjamite. And so if we go back to 1 Samuel 11, when you see this here, uh, when Nahash threatens Jabez Gilead in these areas, there's Benjamites. Saul gets fired up. And in this process, you, you start to see him make a name for himself because at the end of that, uh, I think it's in verse 11, 1 Samuel 11, you see here what happened. It says, So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies. They came in the midst of camp in the morning. They killed all the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left behind. So Nahash was conquered so severely that there was no two. There wasn't enough. There weren't two people gathered together. He, he, they utterly defeated them. And so I want you to process back with me now to chapter 19 in 1 Chronicles. It says, now it happened out here has Nahash this king, the king that wanted to gouge out the eyes and put everybody under slavery. has died. Verse 2. And now David says, I'm going to show kindness to this guy. I kind of did some research in, there's quite a few different mindsets of how, how long King Saul raised. In Acts, it says, in Acts 13, I think in verse 12, 21, you don't have to go there. It talks about Saul and it says 40 years. It doesn't quite say that Saul reigned 40 years. It just says 40 years. And so some people would say that King Saul reigned 40 years. But if you kind of get in the text and you kind of do the math, it's probably more towards 20. There's even some people that would say 12. I'm not the greatest Bible scholar in the world. Either one of those deals, I'm getting at, Saul reigned for a period of time. This happened with Nahash at the beginning of Saul's reign. Then David comes on the scene and he's in exile. Saul tries to hunt and kill him. And if you count Ziklag, it's roughly 8 to 10 years. So if you just think, for instance, 20 years, King Saul in the middle. Halfway into Saul's reign is roughly when David is actually, he's hunting David down to kill him. And so somewhere in that period of time, my own personal opinion is that God, that Nahash actually showed David favor as he was running from Saul. Somewhere in the mix of the wilderness and going on, Nahash had to do something to David for him to show this great act of kindness. Because the Ammonites were enemies. They were considered a threat to Israel. But what I love about King David is his heart. You keep seeing this, this deal that David was a man after God's own heart. It says in Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers. Even though sometimes you see David's described as a man of war, he had peace in his heart. David was a peacemaker. He sent them to mourn. He sent comforters to, to the kingdom there just to mourn over Nahash. That's pretty crazy. And it, I don't know about you, but how do you think that was received, Sean? I mean, if somebody's going to show you kindness, I think that's received pretty well. Yeah, right. The king of Israel sends somebody to mourn for your father's death. Well, here's what I'm learning. Sometimes... Uh, no good deed goes unpunished. I learned that a long time ago. Just kidding. But sometimes in act of kindness, we're trying to make peace. Sometimes people don't receive it. Sometimes things happen that actually counteract what we're trying to do. And so you actually see this happens. Look here and uh, go to verse 3. 
Uh, Nahash's son, Hanu, it says, And the prince of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, Do you think that David really honors your father because he sent comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to search and to overthrow and spy out the land? Therefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved their beards, and he cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks and sent them away. <laughs> These guys are rough, man. So here you see David's act of kindness. And then you see how the people distort it. And then here Hanan does what? He grabs all David's ambassadors and he shaves their beard. And he actually, if you study that out, they wore these robes, right? They cut their robes off above their buttocks. And so I don't know about you, but that's a vivid picture. Uh, if you go back into this deal with the beard, right, you're like, oh, big deal. They shaved their beard. The beard back in this time was a symbolic of their manhood. They really kept their beards were groomed. Uh, part of the deal when David went to Ziklag, they thought he was crazy because he had slobber and spit all over his beard. He wasn't keep, he wasn't maintaining himself. And so this was a really big deal. It was actually an act of, that caused war. But if you go back to this, and we've been talking about this, what's in people's heart. David's showing an act of kindness, but men have evil in their heart. And their perception of what's going on in front of them is whatever's in their heart. So when we try to show love to evil sometimes, they, they don't receive it. Because sometimes they think we should be just like them. And here it is, Hanan and his crew's thinking, man, if I was David, this is what I would be doing. Even though it wasn't true, that's what they acted on. And then they started a war that actually cost lots of men their lives. So let's go to verse 6. I, th I think we've got to back up, though. Let's go to verse 5. Sorry. So I want to talk about David just a second. So here you have David's ambassadors, half-shaved beard, half their clothes on. They're, uh, I don't know what they were thinking. They were probably really angry, but they were probably really embarrassed. So it says in verse 5, some of them went and told David about the men. Somebody left and told David what they had done to his ambassadors. So David sent to meet them because they were greatly ashamed. And the king said, David said to his guys, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and they returned. So here you see some grace, man. David had a heart, man, how to lead people. And so these guys were walking in shame. He let them stay. Uh, I think it was at Jericho until their beards, yeah, Jericho, till their beards returned. So let's go to verse 6. So here we see this war. How did David receive this? Uh, it, was an act, it was an act that caused war. And so when the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, they knew what they were doing. They knew when they'd done this against David's men what the result would be, because here's what they did. They went and hired mercenaries. They, went, they didn't have enough of their army, wasn't big enough for, to, to defeat Israel. And so they gather up their money. It says they gather up a thousand talents of silver. And they went to hire themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from Syria, and from Zobah. So they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots. And so here you see, I think it's actually more, 32,000 chariots. There's some foot soldiers you see in Samuel uh, it talks about. But here you see that, uh, that the Ammonites, they're really serious about defeating and destroying Israel. Remember a covenant. God said, I'm going to give you this land. But here they are. The enemy's trying to take all their land. And so in the last part of verse 7, you see the, the people of Ammon gathered from their cities and they came to battle at Mediba. So Kevin, Kevin's got it on the map here. If you'll look here. I don't know if you can see this. You kind of got to zone in. So all of David and his men right now are in Jerusalem. And the Ammonites are gathering their army from Syria all over to Mediba because their hearts to conquer, conquer David. Y'all with me? So let's look at David's response to this rallying of the troops here. Verse 8, uh, verse 8 and 9. It says, when David heard of it, when he heard that what the Ammonites were doing, that the Syrians were coming in, people from Mesopotamia... He sent Joab. Y'all remember Joab, right? He's the commander, the chief of his army. He is one bad dude. 
And he, 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 and all the army of the mighty men. I'm not sure when I, when I read this, I want to say it was the mighty men, you know, the 30 something there. Uh, but I'm pretty sure there was more guys with him. Uh, go to verse nine. Then the people of Ammon. So here you see Joab. David sends Joab, uh, and he sends these mighty men. And then here it comes. Then the people of Ammon came out to put themselves in battle array before the gate of the city. And the kings who had come by them were themselves in the field. So here you see wars beginning. Joab comes out, and then all of a sudden the Ammonites and Assyrians start to assemble themselves. So when Joab saw that the battle line was against him, before and behind him, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. So when you read verse 10, it seems to be that Joab knew he was outnumbered. When he started looking around, if you, if you, if you, when you look into this, he, he knew they were in front of him, but they were also behind him. And so he had to make a decision. He had to have a plan. What am I going to do here? So Joab, if you look at verse 11, it says, And the rest of his people he put under the command of Abishai. So it's Jobab and his brother Abishai. They actually divided their forces. And Joab makes some pretty uncharacter to his comments. You don't hear Joab talking a whole lot about the sovereignty of God and God's plan and follow Jesus. Uh, but here you'll see something that happens in verse, uh, verse 12. This is what he says to all his men. If the Syrians are too strong for us or for me, then you're going to help me. So you've got Abishai's group, you've got Joab's group. And he's saying, look here, when I go against the Syrians, if they're too strong for me, I need you to help me. But when you guys go against the people of Ammon with Abishai, if they're too strong for you, just know I got your back. Be of good church. It's kind of like this commission. You keep seeing these like Joshua and Moses encouraged Joshua to what? Be of good courage. Conquer the land. Go in. Be strong and courageous. This is what Joab tells his men. Be of good courage. Be strong for the Lord and for the city is our God. And here's what he ended it with. And may the Lord God do what is in his sight. This is a pretty radical statement for Joab because he usually did what was in his own sight. Uh, Joab was a rough guy and he took some things in his hands, but he's telling, he's encouraging his troops to trust God and what he promised and said. And you see them, their backs against the wall here. They're surrounded, but they're going to divide and they're going to conquer. And I feel like sometimes when I read this text, that's how we're supposed to be in the body of Christ. You may be fighting over here, and I may be fighting over here, but if I see you starting to lose the battle, guess what? I'm coming. If you see me start losing the battle, then what? I'm coming to help. You're coming to help me. Uh, I actually had some things happen just recently in my life where, man, some people in my life needed some, uh, that had poured into me when I, when I first got saved, actually got into a place where they were a little dry. And so I heard the Holy Spirit say, go. And so I showed up in my buddy's yard, man, and the reality of it was that I, I just poured into him because he poured into me. You know why? Because the battle gets too strong sometimes. There's sometimes you need other people pouring into you. And so I feel like in the body of Christ, we need to be like Joab and Abishai. We're on the same team. It doesn't matter. If I'm, if I'm advancing, I'm advancing. But if I start coming, I need your help, vice versa. So I think we can learn something from Joab here. As we start to, as we work out our own salvation, as we subdue the land now in our day. And so let's see what happened in this battle. Let's see what, what turned out. So verse 14. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for battle against the Syrians. So Joab's going towards the Syrians, Abishai's going towards the Ammonites. And what happened? They fled before him. So Sean, if you want to go to Joshua 23.10, I'm going to read 15 and then I'll let you pull that one up. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also did what? They fled. And so Abishai's brother and Joab entered the city, and it says Joab went to Jerusalem. And so, Sean, if you'll pull that up, Joshua 23.10 says this, One of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord God is he who fights for you as he promised you. This is, in an essence, what Job, Joab was telling his guys. 
And you see, as they pursued, they were outnumbered, but they put the enemy to flight. Why? Because God was with them. So sometimes it doesn't matter what we're facing. It doesn't matter what you're up against. God's with you. He's for you. He's not against you. You just got to walk it out by faith. And next thing you know, they all flee. And so back to, just jump back into chapter 19, verse 16 and 17. Thank you. So here we are. Syrians flee. Ammonites flee. Joab goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, and this is where they start talking to David. Now, when, they, when the Syrians saw that they'd been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and they brought the Syrians who were beyond the river. And so the Syrians got, got whipped, like us country folks say. They got beat bad. So what did they do? They went out and started sending out to their buddies, saying, Hey, man, we need your help. Verse 17. And when it's told David, when David saw that the Syrians were amassing their army even more, he gathered all Israel. He crosses over the Jordan and he comes upon them and he sets up a battle array against them. So when David had set up in battle array against the Syrians, they fought with him. So David takes all the army of Israel and he actually pursues the Syrians. Verse 18. And here it is again. Then the Syrians did what? Fled. Fled. I really believe if we get this in our heart, we'll live differently. No one can stand against God. When David went out, the Syrians fled. And David killed 7,000 charioteers, 40,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians. And he killed the commander of their army. Verse 19. And when the servants of Hadazar saw that they were defeated by Israel, they did what? They made peace with David and became his servants. And this is what it says in verse 19. So the Syrians were not at, they said no more. No more help on the Ammonites. We bit off a little more than we wanted to. We're done. And verse 20. And it happened in the spring of the year, the time the king drew out to battle. Let me back up here. Uh, that's chapter 20. So the last verse, you see what? Peace comes into the land, the Syrians surrender. And then we're going to transition into this chapter 20. But I want to kind of just stop here for a minute to see. There's always going to be. You see it in chapter 18. You see what? They conquered the land and they conquested but it wasn't like when they conquered the land, it wasn't like they could just kick back, put their feet up and say, no worries. Because what happens is when you take the enemy's land, he's always coming back because he wants it back. And you see, there was the Ammonites. You see this thing with Nahash's son. You see this thing with the Syrians. There's always these people trying to take back the land. You can even see it now. Israel is still in chaos because there's constantly people trying to retake what God said was theirs. And it's not happened. The, same as this today. They're still fighting, but Israel's still there. Uh, there's this spot called Jerusalem. It's still there. And so when you process 19, it's really crazy how thousands of years ago, there's wars going on, and it's still going on today. It's interesting. The, the, the argument really started with the Ammonites, but it ends with the Syrians. You're right. I mean, the enemy joins forces up and tries to bring up... He's trying to take as many people with him into the battle. I agree. But that doesn't mean they're stronger than you and that they can't be defeated. That's right. And Joab kind of, he yeah, split it so they could do the battle together, but they they, they divided and conquered. They did. And so uh, we just got to keep being faithful. Real quick, I want to jump into, this is kind of fun for me in chapter 20. Because sometimes I read through all these wars and I don't really know what's going on in between. It's like we see it as a big thing, but there's a lot of stuff happens in the middle. And you guys already know this kind of stuff, but I want to highlight it for you again. So in chapter 20, verse 1, it says this. It happened in the spring of the year at the time the kings went out to battle. 
that Joab led out the armed forces and ravaged the company of the people of Ammon. Here they are again, right? They defeated the Syrians, but the Ammonites were still messing with them. And they came and they besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem and Joab defeated Rahab and overthrew it. So there's the last two sentences there are pretty specific. You need to pay attention to in chapter 20, verse 1. So it says, they were rough. I think Rabbath is right in this area. The Ammonites were. And so you see here that Joab leads out his army to the people of Ammon. So he's going to conquer the Ammonites for good. But you see right here, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Anybody remember that? What happened when David stayed at Jerusalem? His sin with Bathsheba. He sinned against Bathsheba. So as you're reading chapter 20, when you read over that, if you, you've got to go to 2 Samuel to see it. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is actually when, we'll just go there real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. Here's where it talks about it. And it happened in the spring of the year, same timeline as we just read in 20. At the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged Rabbath, but David remained at Jerusalem. Next verse. <coughs> and it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked upon his roof, and he what? He saw Bathsheba. So here you see this when Bathsheba steps in. David steps in with Bathsheba, and he commits the sin. It was during this battle. Joab was out. And here's the other part. Where was Uriah? Where was Uriah? He, this was the battle he was in. So when David calls Uriah off the field to try to cover up Bathsheba, he calls him off this battle that we're talking about. And so if you'll go real quick to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 26, we'll see the end of this thing. You'll kinda, you can kind of pair the thing together. So Joab fought against... This is after you read the story in 2 Samuel about David, Bathsheba, and Uriah. And Uriah has died. Okay? Now Joab fought against Reba and the people of Ammon. They took the royal city. Next verse. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Reba and I've taken the city's water supply. So what, jo what Joab is saying to David is he's taken the city's water supply. So he's cut them off. And when you lose water in this country, you're done. You can only sustain so long without water. So what Joab's telling David is it's time. Look at the verse, next verse. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. This is in the process of when David has went through the Uriah, the Bathsheba, there's a mourn and there's a repentance. And he's, if you can picture David, he's at Jerusalem and he's kind of, I don't know what he's doing, but he ain't doing what he's supposed to be. And so Joab's kind of kicking him like, look, I, I, we're here, we're fixing to take the city. You get out from Jerusalem and get over here, because if not, the people's going to give me credit for what you, you, need to give, you need to be king. Stop sulking. Let's go get out here. So David jumps out. It says, David gathered all the people together and he went out to Rabbah and he fought against it and he took it. Next verse. And when he took the king's crown from his head, it weighed a town of gold and precious stones. And it was set on David's head and he brought the soul of the city out in great abundance. So here you see when David comes out, they conquer. And here you see God reestablishing the fact that even in this sin and this process of what David did against Bathsheba and this deal with Uriah, Joab brings him back out and you see now there, it's not his coronation, but here he is wearing his king. To me, this is just a symbol of David's authority. God's reinstituted re and he's restored him. And the crazy thing about this king's crown, if you study how much it weighed, he couldn't actually wore it. He, he couldn't have wore it without somebody holding it. It was this massive crown. So it wasn't like he just went around wearing it around. It was something they placed on him, they hold it, and then that was it. But what I wanted you to see in chapter 20 was sometimes we read over these stories without processing. Hold on. What's going on here? What's that about? If you would have just read this, you might not have realized that, hey, this is actually the battle that Uriah died. And so as you're reading the Bible and as you're going through these chapters, always remember, man, what we're trying to do with Revive School is bring all this stuff together 
and see how it works. And so it's really cool to me. I never really noticed that, hey, that is where this whole process of things took out. And so chapter 20 actually ends with um, David and some other guys conquering these five giants of Philistines. And at the end of the deal, man, you just see what? You see God's sovereign plan. No matter what the enemy does, you see David and you see his mighty men walking by faith. They didn't do it all right. But their heart was to serve God. And God showed up and he showed out and enemies fled before them and they continually had to what? They had not only conquer the land, they had to maintain it. And so I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I hope this encourages you. You can trust the Lord. You One can put a thousand to flight. Scripture says two can put ten thousand to flight. So I'm not sure what you're up against today, what your enemies are doing. But the reality is this. You can track David. He just walked in and God was always faithful to his promise. You guys have a great week. And I've enjoyed hanging out with you today. God bless you.